0: The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Hello. Hello. There we go. All right. Good. Good. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Um, the, uh, it is a joy to be here. I don't know. It's always interesting because I, it's been a while since I've spoken here before. And um, so I, I, some of you know this already. I, uh, I did. I, my, I, we actually moved out here because my dad uh, took a job as the high school pastor here um, when I was two and uh, so i have I have m- just memories of being around here and and then um, um, and then I actually went to the inn. and um, and so this room has been a powerful, powerful place for me and it really was a place where you know I came in here and joined a fraternity and kind of wanted to do that life and then that just got old, really fast for me and um, this was the place it took it was a, a it really did take someone inviting me. Uh, over and over again before i finally came and it was here where i saw the director at the time denny reitberg is now the president of young life and he was a guy that kind of kind of called me out and and sat down to coffee with me and and said what are you doing with your life dave and uh, i said well i don't i don't know (laughs) so he was the first guy to sort of nudge me in the way of going and being an intern and so I was an intern with Mike Affney in uh, Colorado and, and then went on to seminary from there and then started directing my own program uh, in Wisconsin and just had a great group of uh, students, some of which I still know, and uh, just um, interns that I still know. So it's a huge part of my life. So just to say this, I really am honored to be here with you. And I, I want to tell you this, what I love about this Place here is that I know that your minds are really really sharp and I know that your hearts are, are really uh, seeking after the real God it's no longer about your parents religion it's no longer because you have to you're here because you're choosing it and so just to say this I'm honored to be with you and um, and, um, and further thing to say this that you know my, my hope in this as we go through this together my hope is that this gets you thinking I don't necessarily need you to agree. I, what I do care about is that you care about what we're talking about, that you take it home and that you think about it, you pray about it, and that you sift it and um, allow God to do that work in you. And, um, and in, if you've got questions or, or whatever, you feel free to email me or you can talk with uh, four of the sharpest people that I know, which are back there, uh, Janie, Beck, Be- Becky, and uh, uh, Mike and Ryan. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for every single person in this room. Lord, you know that I believe that there's not one single person here tonight by accident, that you have called every single person here for an appointment. No matter what they thought they were coming for, it's because you want to speak to them, that you've got a vision for their life, you've got a hope for them, that you have created them on purpose. And that there's nothing better than that sense of closeness with you. And I know people in this room, some of them feel very close to you. They can see you. They can can feel you. And then there are some people in this room I know that feel very distant from you. And so I pray tonight, especially for those people that came anyway in faith they would walk away with a sense that you were with them. And that's something that we can't make happen. We have to ask you to do it. So we ask that humbly in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're getting ready to go on a uh, on a, in a series on relationships. I'm going to be here this week. I'm also going to be here next week. Um, so uh, you're stuck with me uh, for a little bit. And, um, and so... Uh, I've told people this may be the night that they want to go catch up on their reading. Um, the, uh, but I'm, 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 I'm really glad to be doing this. We're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about identity. And this is one of those topics that, that for me is so foundational to the work that I do now. And it was foundational in the work that I did when I was a pastor. Who you are. If you were to summarize it right now in a word, what would it be? Your identity, if you were to summarize it in a sentence, from where you grew up, how do people see you? If I were to go to your parents and say, what's their identity, what would they say? It's my belief, you guys, that what Jesus does so beautifully is give people a chance in the middle of their life, in the middle of their story, to suddenly stop And no matter who they've been or what they've been, to suddenly have the chance to take on a new identity, and that this is what changes their life. This this is what begins their story as a disciple. They've been a certain identity all the way up until this chapter, and then there's this break. And Jesus comes along, and looks them in the eye and says, "Yeah, I know where you've come from, but this is who I'm going to name you." He does it with Peter. You've been a fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He starts off as a guy with a hot temper. He's blue collar. He's rough. And by the time you get to Acts, he's one of the few people that the church is going to for wisdom. Something has changed. Something has, has developed in him, a new identity. He's no longer seen that way. When I was um, about 22, Matter of fact, it was probably the summer right before I came to the inn. I went and worked with my sister, who's two years younger than me. She wanted to work with horses, and, and we just we were we we're tight, and so we were like, you know, we got one last summer before I graduate. Let's go work together. And so we I said, you know, why don't you go and apply at these Christian camps and, and wherever you go, wherever you get in doing working with horses, I'll apply to. And and so they, lo and behold, she does this, she lands in this camp in Wisconsin, which I couldn't place. Wisconsin on a map I mean I knew it was kind of East And up A little bit But was it Iowa Ohio I don't know It's in that Little vicinity For me there's sort of this No man's land between here And then like New York It's just sort of (laughs) Fuzzy I don't know Just there's nothing really You know And so we end up there And it's hot I get hired on as a counselor And I go there Uh, Growing up I got to tell you When it came to, to When it came to women When it came to girls, I was painfully, painfully shy. Just tongue-tied. I could not... I mean, it it was just... It was was the kind of stuff where you're kind of like, Oh, no, really awkward. Like, extremely just (laughs) painful. Like, kind of painful even to watch me. I mean... You know, Valentine's Day, I had my own little kind of first girlfriend, and everybody was bringing these boxes of chocolate. I brought her a hunk of white chocolate, like, just here you go, like, it was awkward. She looked at this thing and, like, what do I do with it? I don't even know how to eat this, you know? Painful, painful. Brought it in a bag, you know, I mean, that's... It was painful. I had, and I had brought this identity. And I saw myself that way. I saw myself as I'm the one that can't talk to women. I just can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so I go to camp. And I'm thinking this is going to be. I just had this feeling that, that that my identity was changing. And lo and behold, at camp, there's this girl. One of the best reasons to go work at a camp. Her name was Chris. And Chris Kind of walked about six inches above the ground. Just kind of floated. She was just that way. She was just that. Just, I just watched her. It's like, she doesn't even really touch the ground. That's, that's Chris. Look at her walk by. And she would walk by and I'd be like, hmm. I can't talk to her. And, and so I had this group of buddies of mine. There's about six of us, and we, we kind of bonded. And, and I started telling them, "I'm like, I, gosh, she's just great. I just think she's 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 just, you know, the money." And I'm like, "I I, I would love someday. I don't think I actually use that phrase." And uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're so we're, I'm talking about it and talking about it. And my friends are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Here he goes again. And about two thirds of the summer goes by. Maybe half the summer goes by. And they used to do these things called counselor hunts. Have anybody worked in a camp here? Anybody? It, it, it's just, it, they, they have these things, and I'm not sure they're safe. They, throw, they, tell, they tell counselors to go out and hide, and then they send kids just into the woods. <laughs> go find them. Like, if you all come back, great. You know, we're looking for about a 95% return, so <laughs> five of you are not here. You know, that's pretty good. You know, in baseball, that's awesome. You know, Um so, lo and behold, there's about 350 kids at this, at this camp. And, and Chris, that night, uh, happens to uh, get caught. And she's standing in the middle of 350 kids. Now, that's not such a big deal, except for that the week before, at our last counselor hunt, I was in the staff lounge, and I'm talking with my little buddies. And I'm saying, gosh, guys, I just would love to. And my friend Mark Saunders, who's now pastor in Florida... Who's a very big man from Texas so he talks kind of like this he says Dave I'm tired I'm tired ta- that's how they say that I- I'm tired T-A-R-R-E-D T- I'm tired I thought it meant something else and I was like you what and I'm tired he says I- I'm tired I'm tired of hearing you talk about her because I'll tell you what, you have one week to ask her out, or I'm going to ask her out for you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. Seriously, Mark, don't, don't do that. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm tired. <laughs> so, okay, a week goes by, and I do zero, like nothing. Every time she's like, she's walking by, and I'm like. <sighs> No, I can't. I just can't. It was like everything in me would freeze up. My throat would close. I could it was like, words would not come out. And if they had, they would have been squeaky. And that's not going to work. Hi. <laughs> so the next week comes by. She's been caught. She's standing in 350 kids. And I come into the staff lounge and I'm sitting there and I just, am just dreading what's going to happen. And Mark comes walking in. Like, they literally walk like this. He could put a pop can right here. Literally, would do that. He goes, did you ask her out? And I went, okay, no, I didn't. Goes, That's too bad. You ought to have asked her out. And he starts walking like this. And I'm like, no! You know, it's that slow motion feeling. Like, no and he's just walking out like this just kind of walking with his you know like this out there and she's standing in the middle of this group so I literally walk right back right past him I'm walking right into the crowd I'm walking right towards her and I've got all the I'm not going to have my buddy ask her out for me that's like the, that's more humiliating than if my squeaky voice had done it like on Tuesday so I, I'm walking forward and I, I walk right up to her and I do a, like a left hand turn and I just miss it I just am like no, I can't and I go over to the soda machine and I, I buy a soda I don't even to replace Mark's I don't know I don't even want I don't even want a soda and I I turn around and he's just walking through the crowd and it's like it's like this ocean parting ways through it's just a sea of people and I walk right up to her and I walk right in front of him and I put my hand on her shoulder and I looked at her and I said okay Chris I'm not even sure you really know my name Um, I'm one of the staff members with you and I'm wondering if there'd be any chance possibly you don't have to say yes right now If you'd like to go out sometime. And she just looks at me startled. And then I said, can you tell me tomorrow? And I walked out. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the total total truth. And I literally walked by Mark and I go, I did it. You can't do anything. (laughs) She ended up saying yes. That was good. But I learned, that, I'll tell you the truth, what I learned there through that horrible experience <laughs> was that my old identity didn't work anymore. My old identity was, was, was getting in my way, and it was time for something new. And I'm thankful for Mark, actually, he's still a dear friend of mine, um, for pushing me. I want to take you through a text. Can we get that up there? Oh, the lighting in here is great. Okay. Some of you have heard this passage before. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. It's crowded. You can feel the energy in the room. And people are just starting to notice this Jesus, and there's a lot of questions about him. The religious leaders are, are watching him from the sidelines. And what's happening is they're getting threatened. And so their anxiety is up. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now here's the bind. If he says, Kill her. He's breaking Roman law. If he says don't, he's breaking Moses' law. And what they want to do is expose him. If he gets it wrong, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be an authentic teacher. There's a no-win situation. And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down. You can see him get down. You can see the energy. Is it going slow or fast? Is it going slow or fast? Stay with me. It's going fast. You've been in situations like this where you walk into a place and the energy is moving like that. And you know how easy it is to start getting in with that same energy. It's so compelling. It starts sweeping you up. Some of you have families like that. You live a certain life and you go back home and suddenly, boom, the energy is moving back again. And it's so hard to think straight. One of the things I love about what Jesus does is he doesn't get into it. He keeps the energy low, and he stoops down. One of the things I do when I talk with people is, is I don't try to get Lord over them. He brings it down. He's actually getting lower than them, not threatening them. And he starts drawing them the ground, just drawing. What he's doing is he's slowing everybody down. Can't think too well when everything's moving that fast. You know that. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up. And he said to them, He was without sin among you. How many of you have heard this verse? He was without sin among you. Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down on the ground and wrote on the ground. You can see. He's taking their either or question. and He's putting back a question that forces them to think about options. Some of you know what it's like to be put in a situation where you've got an either-or, and it's fast-paced, either this or that, black or white, good or bad. And you know how compelling it is to, to choose. Some of your arguments that you have in your relationships right now, you know that you have dialogues that get into that kind of a dialogue. Either this or that, this or that. And what Jesus does is he says, you know what, not either this or that. Let's bring it back out, and let's give you some options. Slow on the thinking now. And when they heard it, this question he asked them, they began began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the midst. And you picture it. You can hear the stones dropping on the ground. You can hear the uncomfortable energy shift. As these people begin to look inward on their lives. Instead of looking at this one person that they're taking out and putting all of their anger on. This person that they've embarrassed. This woman who is now labeled. Her identity now is the one who has committed adultery. That is her label. Some of you know what it's like to have a label pinned to you. You're the funny one. You're the problem solver. You're the warrior there's a fight, you fight it. Maybe there's sometimes when you don't even want to fight, but that's just the role you've always had. You've been put into it. You know what it's like, and everybody around you kind of puts that pressure on you to have that role. Or you're the dumb one. The family makes fun of you. Maybe not overtly, but subtly. You can feel it. You bring a friend home and they can feel it. They're uncomfortable. This is the role you've always had. Or you're the problem. Everybody else in the family is doing so well. This is systems theory. Systems theory is a, is a kind of a lens that some of us will use in my field that takes a look not just at the individual, but takes a look at the system that they're in, their family or their job. Or the in is a system. Your role. You're the attractive one you're the not attractive one you're the capable one you're the incapable one you know that role it t- tends to typically can follow you this woman down on the ground has been labeled this is her role and we don't know how long this role has been going on with her we don't know if this is the first time this has happened we don't know if this is how her family has seen her we have no idea but for whatever wherever she's come from that is now what she is. And so even though all these other people have left, what I keep thinking about is, how would I feel if I were her in the ground, on the ground right there, having been labeled by a group? You're the sinner. You're the bad one. That's it. And what would it be like to be on the ground... See the crowd go away. Your life, by the way, has just been spared. And there's just Jesus. And he's looking at her. And I picture this look that sees her differently as a daughter. As a woman of honor, of worth, of possibility. The chance for a new beginning, a new identity. She's not done. Women caught like that in those days, you get branded, you get sent out, this is who you are. A lot of the women, if they were caught this way, they become prostitutes. Jesus isn't seeing that. And he says, "Women, women, where are they? Did no one condemn you? You know that feeling of being condemned, that sentenced to always be the same, to never get the chance to change." And she said, "No one, Lord, just to be just stunned." And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, from now on, from now on, that's the new beginning. That's the beginning of her discipleship. From now on, sin no more. We're going to talk about relationships through this semester. And I want to tell you, people, and this is where my heart is really heavy for this. He said, if you're wanting a new kind of relationship, and which of us don't? Some of you are in relationships right now. And you're even wanting that to be different. Some of you, the longing of your heart is to finally have that relationship where... They're your teammate. Dan Allender is a guy who's a professor over at a graduate school called Marcel. He calls it intimate allies. You want an intimate ally, someone who's got your back, someone who knows your story. When you're down, they're strong. When they're down, you're strong. The two of you, like a rope, you want that feeling of being known and knowing someone else. You want the chance to stop having to look all the time. And you know what I'm talking about. You come into a room like this and you're like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you too. You're scanning. You know it. You're looking around and like, oh, there she is. Let's go talk over here this way as we move that way. (laughs) Always looking. You know how tiring that is. We long for that new relationship. And here's what I watch people do all the time, you guys, is that I watch them come in and want a new relationship, but the problem is they're carrying in their old identity. And what I think Jesus is saying to us is, listen, you don't have to. From now on, from now on, you don't have to. Today can be, today, literally, today, January 25th, 2011, today, 10 years from now, we run into each other on the street, and I want you to tell me it was January 25th, 2011. That was the day that was from now on. From now on, I chose a new identity. I'm going to take you through what I hope will be helpful for those of you who are in that place where you're saying, it's time, it's time. And maybe it's not a complete shift. Maybe it's just sort of an evolution of a role. But the goal at the end of it, and you, some, for some of you, you may ch- keep your role. That's fine. But what I want for you is choice, not being compelled. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I want that sense of you know what you you know this role, and there's a sense for you to be able to choose not to do that role. Some of you are in that place where you don't feel that choice, even though it's a good role and people are applauding for you all the time. There's a feeling that there's no way to make life happen unless they're applauding for you, so you feel trapped. You feel this sense of being imprisoned. So it works for you, but there's no freedom to do anything else but that role. You're wanting a new relationship. For some of you, it's going to say, I it's time for me to identify the role that I've come from, identify the role that I've lived in, some of which had its strengths. It worked for me. It helped me survive whatever I came through. Some of which just doesn't work anymore. Some of you leaders feel the pressure of always having to lead. That's tiring. And it's not free. And Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you something. First off, my mission is to free the captives. And some of you are captive to your role right now. Some of you are in roles that you don't like at all. And you feel like, I can't ever do anything about it. And Jesus is saying, from now on, January 25th, 2011, from now on, you get to have a new identity. If you're going to have a new identity, you've got to choose a new role. Now, this is where it gets, I'm going to ask you to think with me, because this is where it gets really tricky. Systems theory would say that every time I gather a group of people together, let me be a little bit of a counselor for a minute. Is that okay? Some of you are like, ah, oh, psychobabble stuff. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm with you on that one. I sometimes gag when I listen to my colleagues and, ah, oh, it just sounds so therapisty. I get that. I really do. But let me, let me, let me give you this lens. That when you get a system together, what systems theory says is that everyone is going to start to play a role. And usually it's one of two things. It's either a role you know or it's a reaction to a role you had. But it's not free. It's almost automatic. It's almost bam. You do it so fast you don't even think about it. Cognitive behavioralists would call it automatic thinking. It's just boom, 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 boom. You so, it's so quick. Your role, bless you. It was a great sneeze, though. It was like I could have spelled that sneeze. It was, Achoo! <laughs> um, i sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> Mine just, you can't spell them. Mine that, ah, <laughs> Can't spell that. Can't smell that. You have to clean it. So a new role. Here's the deal. That some of you, let me talk to some, let me just talk to this person. I, there are some people that their role, if I were to really sit and talk with them, their role is to fix the unfixable problem. That's their role. And some of them grew up with parents that everything looked great. But there was something not great. They never touched. They weren't close. They functioned. But there wasn't that intimacy. You didn't catch them in that moment where they're looking eye to eye and saying, you're my teammate. You're my intimate ally. You didn't see it. It wasn't something of commission. It was something of omission. It was something that was left out. And you had this burden. You didn't, no one asked you to do it, but you, because you have a caring heart, usually that's part of this role. You started doing something. You started figuring out if I can just be good enough, if I can just get straight A's, or if I can just be pretty enough, or if I can just be smart enough. Something about this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can do what. takes to bring these two together. You don't know that that's what you're doing. No kid does, but they're like little seismographs. They're like, they're picking up stuff that nobody else is talking about. You know what that's like, pick it up. So they start working and their role is to try to solve the unsolvable problem. Now they come and see me and we identify that. We say, wouldn't you like another role? Well, I want to tell you something. That's not easy. Because one, it's all you know. You've always done this. You've always been this way. It's what people expect of you. What systems theory would say too is that you do not have a problem right now that is occupying your mind, that is something that feels bigger than life, that doesn't run three generations back. So get this picture. Imagine as a kid, you watch from the sidelines your mother or your father train for a marathon. They tell you every day that they've always lived. They have lived to run a marathon. That's their dream. That's their passion. That's their identity. And so you watch them train. You watch them go to work. You watch them eat what they need to eat. You watch them get up early in the morning. You watch them train. You watch them go out. And slowly but surely, they get in shape, and they start to do it. And on a race day, you see them come to the starting line. Boom, gun goes off. And they you watch as your parent starts to run. And they're running. They're running. 26.2 miles. There's the, there's the finish line. They cross the finish line. And you just, as the people people are going to uh, cheer and you watch the the relief on your parents' face, because this is all they've ever wanted. You see the race official come up and say, "Hey, great job! That's awesome." No, listen. There's been a mistake in this race. There's only you have an additional 10.1 miles to go. I'm really sorry. You got to keep running. Don't. You've gone so far. Keep going. Keep going. So you watch your parent dig down deep, and you see it hurts them, and they start running again. And lo and behold, they they, they struggle through it. They're almost at a walking pace, and they finally they come across the finish line again, and and you just see the crowd just about. They just can't believe it. That she's made it this far or he's made it this far and just as they're about ready to cheer the race official comes up and says listen, great job, you did 26.2, you did 2.1 awesome job, you crossed the finish line now listen, this race, I'm sorry there's been some mistakes it's just 2.4 miles to go it's just up this hill and the next hill you can see the finish line right up there all you have to do is just keep running they dig down deep and you see them start again and they start running and running and running and they go up the one hill and they go up the next hill and they finally cross the finish line and you get what I'm saying all of a sudden the people start to applaud. but the race official comes back again and says listen I know that everything in you has got to want to quit right now but listen you did the first three legs unfortunately there's another leg it's only .7 miles to go you just have to dig down it's just right at the end of the street you can see it right there's the finish line Lo and behold, they start running again, and they're just walking, and they're just making You're watching this all the time. You're watching this going on. You're watching the pain of your parent do what it is that they've always been trying to do, and they go 0.7 miles, and just as they're crossing, the race official comes up and says, that's so great, only 13.7 miles to go. You watch them, and they start running, and they make it about halfway, and you watch them fall. They can't go any further. And you see in their hand a baton. And you say, well, I'm strong. I can run. And you pick it up and you start running. And what you get is this race is unfinishable. You can never finish it. No matter how many finish lines you cross, there's always more. It's the unsolvable problem. And I don't know what it was for you. Just talking to some of you. Maybe it was getting your parents back together. Or maybe it was being perfect enough. Or maybe it was bridging a gap between your dad and his dad. I don't know what it was. But you start running. And you will spend your life trying to fulfill your role as the one who is trying to fix an unsolvable problem you'll spend your life on it now here's what I picture imagine Jesus coming up to you in the middle of your run he says stop running for a minute and you got the baton it's gripped in your hands you can see your white knuckles and he says listen I want to tell you something Your mom spent her whole life running this thing because I guarantee you there is some version of your story, some version of the problem you're trying to solve in your life. If I look up far enough in your generational line, I'll find it again. Different story, different actors, but same plot. Do you get it? This is the only way to win this race is to quit. Now, it's one thing if if it's the first race. But can you feel the amount of failure this person's going to feel? They can see the finish lines right there. He says, I know. you got to quit. you got to stop. you got to change roles. You're going to have to learn to accept that some problems are unsolvable. And you're going to have to find something new to do with your life. But here's my goal. I see Jesus saying this to you, to me. Jesus saying, what I want to see is I want to meet your kids in 10 years, 20 years. And I want to sit down with them. And I want to ask them what it's like to grow up in your family. And here's what I want. I want to hear them talk about life and have no idea about trying to solve the unsolvable problem. We call it the transitional generation. That at some point, some generation's got to say, as far as this storyline goes, here's how it goes. Two people come together. It starts off with hot romance, and then eventually it ends up in fire, In fire, and everybody's hating each other, and there's a massive split. That's how it always goes. And I don't even know that, but I, I feel the role. I'm playing the part of the victim. I'm going to walk into this and I'm going to find someone who is going to victimize me and we're going to start a relationship. I'm just going to carry it on. I'm going to carry it on. I'm going to carry it on. Some transitional generation is going to say, as far as it goes, as far as it is up to me, this stops here. I'm going to have a new identity. Jesus is offering me that. I'm going to take on a new role, which is what a new identity requires. Now, if you're going to take on a new role, This is the hard part. We'll get into this a little bit next week, a little bit. But the tough thing that you're going to have to take on is learning new behaviors. Think about this woman. How is she going to learn to start interacting with men in a different way? If she thinks of herself in her old identity as the adulteress, Does she view herself as someone who is worthy of a man being a man, talking to her with respect and honor? Not unless she learns the behaviors that come from a new role, that come from a new identity. Are you following me? She's going to have to learn to walk straight. Now, I think Jesus, this is just my read, but I think Jesus was even modeling for her how to stand up to a crowd that's labeling. Because you notice he stoops down, but then every time he straightens up again, she's going to have to learn how to do that. I deal with some people, and they're used to being the incompetent one. That's their role, their identity, their role in the family is to be the incompetent one. So they'll come in, and they'll talk to me, and they'll sit like this. And I'm not meaning to make fun, because we all do something like this. But they'll sit there, talk like this, and they'll go... So I think I really want to make some big changes in my life. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to make some big, bold moves where all, every single statement sounds like a question. I'm going to make some big, bold moves. Like they're asking me, yeah, I think you are. This, the new behaviors you're going to have to learn with your new role that comes from a new identity, if you want a new kind of relationship, you're going to have to learn how to sit that's And this is where, honestly, between you and me, I think it's uncomfortable to have to face this sometimes. But it's a huge passion of mine in the work that I do. Earl Palmer, who's a senior pastor here for a long time. And one of the greatest gifts, I, this is where I learned this from, was him. I went up in front of session when I was going to go to seminary. And I came in the, your job, when you're going to seminaries, you've got to kind of come and tell the session. Ryan just went to a session meeting. Those things are... Relaxed or tense? That's it. They're tense. Tense, tense, tense. Everyone's tense at session. So I'm coming in there and I'm 23 and I'm, stand, I'm coming in there and, and, I, and I, I, I go up there and I want to tell them about my vision and I want to tell them about my new thing I'm doing and I'm just excited to go to seminary and I really hope you guys support me with your money and uh, thanks, bye. I'm used to not being strong. I'm used to it. So I do that. Earl Palmer sat me down. And he said, David, you got gifts from ministry, man. But you talked kind of like you were five. <laughs> Ow. But you know what? Praise God for Earl. Because if he hadn't done that, I don't think I would have known that. I can't see myself. When I was in my senior year at Princeton, they give you one shot to preach one sermon. And... In, and it's the most nerve-wracking experience I've ever been through besides the session thing. And, and I'm in this chapel where Martin Luther King Jr. is preached, and it echoes because there's no carpet at all. It's just this big box of a thing, and it's just, and my dad is going to serve communion. He's off to my left, and he's never done this. And in, in, I'm preaching this sermon on John 21, which is this powerful passage about Jesus and Peter being reunited, and Jesus coming back for redemption on Peter who has betrayed him and saying, do you love me, son? son of John, do you love me, do you love me? And Peter's coming back going, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know I do. This is incredible movement through conflict with these guys, and I'm just and it's talking about this idea that Jesus doesn't give up on us. It's this incredibly powerful, touching moment. And if you look at the video of it, because that's how we filmed in those days, it's called videotape. He says, "I I look like I hate everyone. I'm sitting there, like talking like like this, and, and I'm talking like this, and I look like I'm really angry, and I don't like anyone in the room." And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Like they're going to fight, you know? And then they started swinging. Well, if you had seen from my lens, the back row, just like you all are sitting out right there, was filled with all my professors. In the middle row, where all you guys are, are prospective students from around the country. And in the front row are all my classmates. And right here, where you all are, where my best friends, where you are, was my roommate, Jeff, who was voted to do the monologue for the student talent show because he was that funny. And he's sitting there, and all these other people are sitting there, and it's flat, so they can't see this. He's sitting there with a pad of paper... And for the beginning part of my sermon, he's like, It's good. It's awesome. Yes. Yes. Every point I make, he's writing like this. Halfway through my sermon, he starts going... And scribbling on his paper, I can see all this. No one else can see all this. And so what I learned was that my face shuts down when I'm afraid, when I'm just feeling like I'm either going to laugh or I feel judged. My eyes burrow. Now this translates when I want to get my cup of coffee in the morning and I feel maybe a little self-conscious or something. My eyes do it, so I have to open my face up. Or the Starbucks person thinks I hate them. <laughs> At some point, if you want a new relationship, it's going to be time for a new identity. If you want a new identity, get ready to change a role that I promise you, when you leave it, you're going to feel the the key, the key, the key, that you will be probably leaving the role that doesn't fit you anymore is you will feel like you've completely failed. I want to tell you something. You haven't lived long enough to feel the amount of failure you feel. That's the generational push. You haven't done anything in your life to feel the amount of failure you're going to feel. I promise you that. That's the generational push. You didn't start this script, you just inherited it. And you've been walking with it ever since you can remember. And you're going to start to to live a new identity and a new role. It is going to take some behavioral changes. It's going to take some new skills. And there are studies out right now that actually, fake it till you make it, actually works. It's like there's this little guy up in your brain that can't see anything, and he sees you standing like this, saying I want to be the strong man in this relationship I want to lead (laughs) and this little guy in your brain is going uh, we're standing with our knees together and our shoulders are scooped and we're picking at our nails Uh, no we're not leading (laughs) we're going to be following at best probably hiding is what we're going to be doing (laughs) no really I want to lead Stand up. Doesn't mean you got to sit. You know, I get some guys coming in. They're in their Adidas sweats, and they're like, "Hey, Dave, how you doing?" <laughs> Taking them about five foot by five feet. It's like, yeah, yeah. Some of you got to shrink it down, bring it in. Imagine you got about three by three. Fill that. That's your. That's a, that's, a, that's 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 kind of what Jesus everywhere you go. Just imagine. I own this three feet by three feet. I'm just gonna fill it. Drop your shoulders, ladies. Bring your voice down into your chest. You talk like this. You say, I just really want to be a woman of respect. I truly really want to be a woman of honor, you know? It's really big to me. is a new sweatshirt. <laughs> Seriously, small group, be quiet. I'm leading. Don't take your old role into a new scene. It's time to change your role. If you're going to change your role, there's some time where you're going to have to fake it to make it. You're going to have to sit like your role would sit. And if that's going to be a woman of wisdom, sit like a woman of wisdom. If that's going to be a man of leadership, start talking like a man of leadership. Lastly, if you are going to do this, if you decide as of now, from now on, Jesus' words, from now on, get ready for the system pressure to go back. And this is where it gets a little crazy. Because your family system, they always say to you, we just want you to grow up and be whoever you want to be. And you believe them, kind of. So you do. I'm going to choose to date that person. No. <laughs> no, you don't. Because that person isn't as dysfunctional as you need to be to go save them. Rah! Get ready for the pressure. Systems theory says no system wants change. Homeostasis, its main drive is to stay as it is, even if it's awful. Even if it doesn't work. And you can get people saying, I just want a different relationship. Don't believe it. There's usually some unconscious fear that if I leave this relationship, something bad's going to happen, or it's that sense of failure. The generational push. So what you need. This is where church is so important. I like that we sing songs together. I like that we've got a place where people are trying their best to be their best. To do the best they can for people. I like that. I do. But at the end of the day, what I want to tell you is that church is God's tool to help you. Withstand the pressure of the world to stay in the role that you had. And if you don't have a small group of people around you, women, you need some women. Men, you've got to have a band of men. Ryan's in my group that I've been with for 16 years. These men, now they're not in my life every day, but they're called they're part of what I call my backing. I think about them. Their words are in my head. Their strength aids my strength. Who's your circle? Where's your church? that supports you in your new chapter. Small group isn't just one more thing to tick off. Small group is your support. It is your help. When you go into the old system that you come from, the vice, and maybe that old system is your fraternity where you are the party person and it's just not working for you anymore or you are the easy person. You know what I'm talking about. You don't want that anymore because it leaves you feeling like you've been drinking salt water all your life, getting more dehydrated the more you put down. You get ready to feel the slow. We used to call it the 30-day disease, Christian conversion in our house. Give them 30 days, they'll be back. That's systems. Because all they're going to do is they're going to be around everyone drinking. And it starts slow. And eventually, they start coming back and they find their old role. And it's comforting a little bit. You're going to need a system to help you change in a system. I promise you you're going to need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, for some of you, prayer is one more thing to tick off, just like your small group, just like going to church. And I'm telling you right now, if you're going to change your identity to have a new kind of relationship and you're going to take on a new role from now on, you are going to need church and you are going to need to pray. I don't pray because I got to pray to please somebody else. I pray because I got to because I'm not enough on my own. Some of you know what it's like to go back for your first Christmas in college, remember that? And you've grown up until you get home and your mom says, oh, do you need your laundry done? Which is not bad, I'm not blaming that, but what that is is the subtle pressure to not grow up. Why, because mom's scared to death that if you leave, she's going to be stuck with this guy. She barely knows. can happen. Don't grow up. Hard to do. You don't want to disappoint mom. Don't want to get stronger than dad. That's tough. Get ready for the pressure. you got to pray. God, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. And it may be every step to the way in your house. Lord, give me strength for one more step. Give me strength for one more step. And finally... When you're in that place, here's something that I picture. I picture Jesus looking down at you. He's there with you while you're in this place where it's from now on. And Jesus looking you in the eye. That smile. Saying, who there's left to condemn you? No one? No one, neither do I. Now go and send no more. From now on, new identity, new role, new behaviors, new chapter. Discipleship for you begins now. That is identity. And if you are going to talk about relationships, you've got to start there. God, thanks for everybody in this room. I pray that you sift these words, sift them out. Some of these are not going to be right for some people, and for some people they are going to be the beginning of a long journey. And I pray, Lord, that they would feel your love for them, that they would feel how much you like them, that they would sense how much you know about them and how much you see for them. For some of the people in their old role, they're going to feel like they got to master this tomorrow because that's their old role. Help them to resist it, Lord. Help them to walk and say, I don't know, for the first time in their life. I don't have all the answers. I don't know. That's brand new. That's not my role. I'm supposed to have all the, all the answers. Lord, help them. For some of the people who've never had any answers, Lord, I pray you help them find wisdom so they can start to speak from a place that is solid even though they've never done it before. I'm excited for them and I do pray that I run into them in the next 10 years, 20 years and I hear about January 25th, 2011 from now on that this was the day the new chapter started, the new identity began, the new role was taken on, the new behaviors were beginning to be practiced and the power of the spirit came into their life in a way they've never known before. I do pray for that.